Isaiah is a good prophet to turn to as he can testify to God's provision, to God's power, and to God's grace. The people of his day could speak to their own struggle, their own hurts, even their own wrestling with sin, and yet God was faithful to come to them. And, and it's here, just a few chapters later, where we begin to hear God tell through the prophet of the coming Christ, the one who would come to serve and be broken for us. And this really, in Isaiah 40, is a good word for us too because it's a, it's a turning point. It's a hinge point of this book. Everything's changing after chapter 39. My son got engaged. My oldest boy got engaged two weekends ago. And I've been telling him everything's going to change now. <laughs> everything's going to change. Every decision must change. For anybody who's been blessed with children or have children in your home, once kids are in the home, everything must change. Decisions are made differently. When we become Christians, everything is to change. Every decision, every moment is not ours anymore. There is a turning point, and you see that here in Isaiah 40. Isaiah's been saying basically the same thing through the first 39 chapters of his book and of his testimony. And it's not good but after 39 there's a new word there's a changing word isaiah 40 really is that hinge point it's kind of like romans uh, the epistle to the romans the first 11 chapters we're called out for our sin but then there's that glorious word therefore in chapter 12 and god speaks of what he can do and desires to do in the life of his people and so you see this book changing at this Point. So we get to 1 through 39, and again, it's almost like, I like Dr. John Oswald. He will be our revival speaker next spring. Let me say that again, next spring. No more ice storm revivals for us uh, in January. But next spring, he'll be our revival speaker, and he says that the book of Isaiah really is a mini Bible. And the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are like somewhat, in some way, the first 39 books of the Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, they speak to our desperate need for God. That's not all they speak to, but they certainly point out our need for the Lord. My wife Sarah was born and raised in Brazil as a, as a part of a missionary family, and at the age of 11, uh, had to go to boarding school 20 hours away, a boarding school that had no phones for the children, so when she would go in August, she would not be able to call or speak to her family uh, until Christmas. 11 years old, 20 hours away by bus to Sao Paulo, one of the largest cities in the world, alone. And when she first got there, she was asked to help lead chapel. 11 years old, in a new city, all these children older than her, terrified, I don't want to do this. She was told, you were going to read the scripture from Psalm 18. But at least one teacher took her aside and said, listen, I know this is a difficult psalm, and there's some pretty scary things in this psalm, so I'm going to check all the verses you are to read about his goodness, about how God sets you on the high places. Those verses that talk about that, that God is your rock and your fortress and your deliverer. She checked all those verses. Sarah was nervous. She was 11. She got up to read Psalm 18, and she read all the unchecked verses. Think about the poor children of that chapel. All they got was this from Psalm 18. 
God was angry. Smoke went out of his nostrils and fire from his mouth devoured. He sent out his arrows and scattered them and lightning flashed in abundance and routed them. This is the word of God for the people of God. It's all he got that day from Sarah. And in some ways, that's all you get from the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. Because of their sin, because of what was happening, there's a whole lot of tough words, but then there's Isaiah 40 where we are today. And it's just like God to remind his people when they need it. And today's a day when we need it. That even when we struggle, we should not doubt his power and sovereignty, but we also should not doubt his love and his care. And that's what we get here. First, this power. If you look at verse 22 and verse 28, there are pictures of his sovereignty, of his power uh, over creation. And that, that, you know, so much of the Old Testament, it's this battle of who is the true God? Is it the one God or like everybody else at that time? Is it the many gods? That's the dividing line. Is it the one God or the many gods? And, and those gods... Are, have make no claims to be over creation. They're just, creation was kind of an accident that happened. And God says to his people in these verses 22 and 28, oh, I'm different from them. I am the real God, sovereign over all creation. I'm not a God who's bound by creation, by the movement of the sun or the moon. I am not a God who sleeps or slumbers. I am a God who is all-powerful, not only over creation, but look at verse 22 and 23. I am over nations and peoples. I am over rulers. At the end of our days, as we've counted these names, we know, you know, the difference that these people have made in your life, in their family's life, in their community's life. We want to make a difference with our lives. And you look at verse 23, for those who oppose the Lord, he's literally saying, I made them of no more significance power over all of humanity over all creation even verse 26 over the stars themselves assyrians babylonians would look to the stars give them names they were bound by the movement of those stars and what they meant and you go to scripture deuteronomy 4 19 and it says and beware lest you lift your eyes to the heaven and see the sun and moon and stars all the host of heaven and be drawn to them and worship them and serve them you go to second kings 17 you go to second kings 21 that temptation became a real temptation for the people of god even in judges we studied last spring or revelation there's talk of stars and angels and what they represented and here we have this reminder from isaiah god is over all those things he is sovereign he makes provision for his people but even just as importantly, and maybe even for us today, more importantly, verse 28 and 29, when the question is asked of God, we don't, we don't just remind ourselves of his power and provision. We just remind ourselves that God's a God who loves his people. He cares for his people. And he shares himself with his people. We're reminded here he's sovereign, yes, but he's also untiring. We see his capacity to help. We never doubt his heart because here he is offering in their day his strength it's a reminder for us to, to to read his word to deepen our theology so when days like today come and we're hurting and we're grieving as a church family we can trust and we know his word and, and we and we know who he is 
And we're going to trust not only is he going to give us provision, but that he will, that he will be present and he will walk with us because he's a God who gives strength to his people. We come today sometimes with questions. We see that here in Isaiah. That's part of the verse. He's answering too in verse 28 and 29. He's kind of responding to their questions. And it's not just them. It's Gideon. It's Jonah. It's Job. They come with their hurts and they come with their questions. And God, so many times, you, you see that in the life of Job. He, he speaks back. But in Isaiah here, we get this word. As they're questioning. He not only says, look, I'm over all things. You can trust me with that. But you can trust me because I'm a God who who cares for you. I'm a God who will give you strength. Remind, the reminder today is that our strength is in the Lord. And the goodness of God is whatever he has spoken then, it can be for us today. I love what A.W. Tozer says in response to this passage. Anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, He can do for you. And I believe that. And I believe that especially because of the meal we celebrate today. That God has not only proven His power, but He's proven His great love for us. We eat of this meal, and part of our liturgy reminds us again, there will be a day You'll hear it in the prayer. There will be a day when we will meet at his table all together as we feast together at that table in glory. So as we remember Christ's sacrifice for us in this meal, we also remember again the family that he has won, the body of Christ that he has saved, that we are a part of the community, a part of the communion of saints through Christ's gift to us. And when we come to a day with grief, as, as the first disciples who received this meal also were marked by grief, our trust is in Christ, the one who is the resurrection and the life, the one who gave himself for the body, that on this day we might be forgiven as we have come already, confessing that we might be renewed by his grace, but that we might also be encouraged because Jesus Christ has given himself for the body, the communion of the saints. Hear this invitation that Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. And we can respond to that invitation because we remember together on the night in which Christ gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to God, broke that bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper was over, he took the cup gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.